Thank you for listening to the only podcast dedicated to the business of pharmacy. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Show. You can find all of our episodes at pharmacypodcast.com. My name is Blake Tony, doctor of pharmacy and MBA from The Ohio State University, pharmacist for Walgreens. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Show. Can you believe it's June 30th, 2015? The uh, year is, um, well, it's almost uh, halfway, it's halfway over. It's just, um, hey, thanks for coming back for another episode of the Pharmacy Podcast. We got Dr. Blake Tony on the show today to finish up pharmacogenomics segment that we started out doing episode 198, episode 202. If you haven't listened to those shows, you got to go back and listen. Once again, um, Dr. Desai, pharmacogenomics expert, um, episode 198, and then um, episode 202 with University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. University of Pittsburgh participated in that. So we're going to get into the uh, interview with Blake Tony, um, but first let's talk about Pharmacy Times. Heads up. A new checklist aims to reduce prescription drug abuse. Not sure if you've heard about the Alliance for Balanced Pain Management, the AFBPM. Uh, I hadn't heard about it until this morning. So the Alliance for Balanced Pain Management is a diverse collective of 25 healthcare advocacy groups, patient organizations, industry representatives, and other stakeholders who organize to support appropriate access to integrated, effective, and safe pain management, including physical therapy and rehabilitation, psychological counseling, social input, medication, and other complementary approaches. I got to get these people on the show, want to learn more about this uh, organization. So we want to see if we can um, maybe reach out to the Alliance for Balanced Pain Management and see if we can get them on the pharmacy podcast. This plays right into uh, today's show about pharmacogenomics as one of the three primary reasons that you would even run a DNA test to ensure that your patient was metabolizing medications. And one of those three categories is pain management. In fact, working as intended uh, genetically. So let's get into the interview. And today I want to welcome back, who hasn't been on the show since episode 45, which is embarrassing because all the show's quality uh, back from episode 80 back are a completely different level. But nonetheless, we want to welcome back Mr. Doctor, I need to say, Dr. PharmD, Dr. Blake Tony. Welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast Show. Thanks so much, Todd. It does seem like yesterday, but I guess it was... Uh, three years already. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I, I just, and like I said, I, I listen to those shows, Anything 80 Back, and I'm just like, oh, as a podcaster, the quality difference is just, uh, just a big difference. But I, I was so excited when you and um, Jonathan, uh, is it Vincent? Vincent? Viquette. You say tomato, I say tomato. Yeah, exactly. Viquette. When you guys came on and you were you were talking about next generation leadership and Ohio State University College of Pharmacy and it's all backing and we were so proud of that show and I made a cool looking graphic for it and 
So if you if you want to torture yourself, um, go ahead and, and listen to episode 45's quality and apologies right now about that. But let's talk about pharmacogenomics, uh, Dr. Tony. Uh, and also, uh, before we get started, let's give a little overview, a little backdrop about who you are in the industry and uh, a little bit about yourself for our listeners. Sure, yeah. So, you know, I just actually um, finished my MBA, uh, got that on Sunday. And uh, back in December, I finished my Doctor of Pharmacy. And before that, I had a Bachelor's of Pharmaceutical Sciences, all from Ohio State. Um, so, you know, I've always been, um, you know, my biggest critique from preceptors is missing the forest for the trees. In other words, I like to think about things on the molecular level, the mechanisms of action, but in the context of pharmacogenetics and genomics, that serves me well because we're definitely on the nitty-gritty cellular level uh, when it comes to understanding these concepts. Yeah, I'll tell you what, um, pharmacogenomics, um, I'm an infant in the in this space and, and don't pretend to be a, um, a clinician in it or anyone, um, any science background whatsoever. It's all been data collection, it's been reporting, and it's been helping to build uh, technology to help pharmacists and physicians find medical necessity. Because um, when the Wild West opened up about two and a half years ago with the usage of the technology of, of seeing if someone can or cannot metabolize correctly the medications that they're on, um, a bunch of organizations started really throwing a ton of tests into the uh, payment systems, both private and, um, and uh, public. CMS uh, kind of spazzed out saw what was happening, started crunching down on what was going to be reimbursed and what wasn't going to be reimbursed. And since that time, things have become very streamlined. And um, there are some incredible labs out there who are doing things the right way. And there's an organization that I've been involved with called WellMedRx out of Greensburg, Pennsylvania, who also believes in this quality. And they have... and. Um, and been very serious about designing a technology system that can identify based on the NDC code, based on the diagnosis codes, who is truly uh, in need of this test. And then that information is submitted to the payer to ensure that the payer understands why the test is submitted. And now we're breaking down um, the type of uh, therapeutic areas that this test is, is being ran is being run or being ran, and that is um, cardiovascular uh, medications, uh, pain management medications, and psychiatric medications. Um, and under that, under that umbrella of different medications, there's about 150, 160 meds that the um, FDA has flagged, which if you Google FDA pharmacogenomics, you'll find the page that I'm talking about. It's uh, constantly being added to. And the technology that WellMedRx is coming out with, which is called Insights DX, um, is going to take this data and quickly assess who is or his, who is not a candidate. But it's to submit for the very specific panel, the very specific test, the very specific drug, so that a physician that gets these results doesn't have to be inundated by a whole bunch of information that's irrelevant to the patient, even though later in life, 
uh, Blake, they might be. It might be very relevant. Um, when you take your your pharmac when you take a pharmacogenomics DNA test on medication for medication purposes to make sure you're metabolizing, um, you could in in fact see all the medications uh, in these reports that the physician gets back that you're going to slow metabolize metabolize normally or not metabolize at all. And then the physician, based on that data, will make his or her decisions as to what therapy changes need to be made. Um, that in itself wasn't enough. You needed to start being very specific as to what specific medication wasn't metabolizing. So I find that really interesting. What other information from a pharmacist perspective, uh, Blake, are you hearing about uh, in leveraging the science? So, you know, uh, as we've discussed offline, Todd, you know, the, the pace of innovation is just sort of mind-boggling. Um, but, you know, to kind of give a little overview of what goes into this, because just the name alone is intimidating, right? Pharmacogenomics. It's hard to get your mouth around that. Yep. Uh, but, you know, there's really just a couple of key concepts that anyone can understand and it's it's simply this you know if you imagine a, a blob a cell right you've got a, a red one and a green one in your imagination the red one's bad the green one's good the green one's your cell Todd the red one is a cancer cell or a bacterium and the long and short of it is pharmacogenomics helps us predict for different patients based on uh, their genotype what is going to predict how well the drug gets into the cell, how long it stays in the cell, and how well it is exits the cell? It's that simple. The, the transit of the drug through the cell uh, in order to uh, enact its therapeutic effect, um, what predicts essentially the speed? Uh, and, and it's really about that. It's about the how quickly does this drug go through your body. And every step of the process from ingesting the drug to excreting it, uh, there are sort of gatekeeping proteins. And I think that's what probably the layperson uh, has never had explained to them is that, you know, it's really simple to understand that DNA is quite literally a blueprint for proteins. And most people think of proteins as, you know, something you eat at KFC, right? Yeah. Well, that's protein on a macro level, but when those proteins are broken down into amino acids and then rebuilt, they actually act as cellular machinery. And so I know I've said a lot of big words here, but the point is, is that these proteins, Todd, are what govern the entry of a drug into the cell, the exit, and then the metabolism within that cell. And so what we're able to find is, when you refer to these enzymes in particular is uh, some people have enzymes that are, have, are a little bit different flavor, a little bit different sequence of amino acids that is dictated by their uh, genome, by their DNA based on that blueprint. Um, and based on that change that might be small, might be a single uh, they call them, actually have a word for it, SNP, single nucleotide polymorphisms. Just a little change can have a big difference in how quickly that enzyme metabolizes that drug. And so what you'll see is uh, there's actually a family of enzymes, the cytochrome P450s, that account for 60% 
of adverse drug reactions, 60%. Now, that's, an, that's some low-hanging fruit, if I've ever seen it. And um, quite frankly, what you have is a, a little bit difference, as I mentioned, having a big effect in terms of how quickly these drugs are metabolized. So if something isn't uh, broken down quickly enough, it hangs around too long, that's when you get side effects. On the opposite end of the spectrum, if you have something that's metabolized too quickly, it doesn't have time to have the therapeutic effect. And so that was sort of my little elevator pitch for how anyone can really understand this, this highfalutin concept is really a matter of, of the drug coming through the body at the right rate and having the right effect. And so, you know, as we, I, I actually took this class in pharmacogenomics, um, there was actually six different professors that teamed up uh, to bring it to us. I think I took it a couple months after my first podcast show uh, with you three years ago. Um, but the principles uh, remain the same. But the, what's, what's different, Todd, and what you've mentioned and what you've actually educated me on um, is how quickly... Not only have we progressed in terms of um, sequencing genes and identifying the, the targets that have therapeutic um, consequences, but also how quickly the price has come down to do this. I think you mentioned just in the last two, two and a half years, I think you said price went from 1600 almost in half to $890, short of $900. I mean... You know, that sounds expensive. Of course it is. But at the same time, you think about how expensive a brand name drug is. Um, you, you and I both know Dr. Adam Fine. Um, and when you look at different tiers of medication going from generic to brand and brand to specialty, they, those prices differ by a factor of 10. So when you think about third-party payers, there's a big difference between 1600 and something under 1000 I mean, you might have a brand-name medication that someone takes every month that's between 500 and and $1,000. Right. So you mean to tell me that um, third-party payers wouldn't think that this is a deal to make sure that they're not spending buku bucks on medication that's literally not having an effect and maybe even making things worse? Um, so that's kind of the science, and then... Uh, I'll hand it back over to you to kind of flesh out the economics of this situation. Yeah, you you definitely um, you know hit uh, the the um, the aha moments for um, for medical professionals out there who are involved in leveraging medications to help their patients get to the next level of wellness, um, and sometimes that's sustaining. And other times, as we all hope, it's to make them completely better and get on with life. Um, you know, pharmacogenomics can't be ignored anymore. It can't, you can't, you're not allowed to say it's not ready. You're not allowed to say there's not enough data. You're not allowed to say it's too expensive. Because those three things are, are basically, uh, um, it's, it's bullcrap. Uh, no longer with, true, yeah. It, it's not true. So pharmacogenomics, it plays an important role in identifying the responders, the non-responders to these medications, avoiding the adverse events that can in fact happen um, to optimize that drug dose. And there's drug labeling uh, that contains information on genomic biomarkers that um, is described by uh, what the FDA says is either uh, drug exposure and clinical response variability um, for obviously mitigating and minimizing the risk of adverse events. 
um, the genotype-specific dosing. Um, I can't wait to start splicing those hairs and what technology can do with actually specific dosing to the genotype. Mechanisms for drug action. What's the next action to be taken? And uh, polymorphic drug target and disposition genes. Um, I mean, the, the whole the whole thing here with the FDA approved drugs with this information and their labeling and the labeling for um, each of the um, specific medications is there as kind of markers to, to see um, what to do next. And that's not the science at that point. That's not the technology at that point. That's the physician and that's the pharmacist working together, meaning um, – me as a technologist and as a marker marketer, we can only do so much to support the intelligence that's in place to really make things happen. But the tools are becoming so much more powerful that um, that the identifiers of this system, for example, WellMed or X is coming out with, they know how much those tests are on average. As you said, you know, uh, two years ago. Um, I saw um, reimbursement uh, reports come back at twenty six hundred dollars, and then um, it fell a bit. And you know the average was right around sixteen hundred, and then of course it's plummeted. And the reason why it is is because the insurance companies are getting very smart to the comprehensive submission. That is, let's submit all the patient's possibilities. Well, that patient might only be. Um, you know, allergic to one specific medication um, rather than the entire 160 plus medications that are listed right now um, on the FDA site. So um, they've become heads up. So the technology that that now is coming out that um, that WellMedRx is doing is it it can be embedded or will be embedded to an electronic health record system, which is all encompassing to the obviously the patient's record. And then based on that patient's um, uh, data, um, their um, their record can be uploaded into this module. And this module will give medical necessity, yes or no, um, based on how the insurance company is billing today. And it will say to them, Yes, they should have this test run, or no, this test shouldn't be run because it's uh, there's no medical necessity to do it. And then, of course, results are usually coming back within anywhere from three to seven business days. And now the the physician and the pharmacist has a vision into uh, the drug effectiveness, um, and they're not in they're not doing any intelligent guessing based on what the rest of their patients have responded to this medication. Now they're now it's precision medicine. It's pinpoint precision medicine, which is, you know, fascinating to me. And I think that's a perfect segue into the final objection of I, I noticed when we were talking before the show, there were sort of three categories that I noticed three barriers, three challenges, three objections sort of that physicians, uh, uh, you know, understandably bring up when you sort of discuss implementing these um, sort of analytics into everyday prescribing. And I think that, you know, the three objections were utility, um, affordability, uh, and sort of uh, timeliness uh, or the the time commitment. And I think you've hurdled the first two main barriers, you know, you've proven 
not well. I'm not crediting you solely, but you, you know, you've certainly <laughs> gathered the part information <laughs> to prove that that it's useful. You, and now the major, always the major barrier, is now becoming more and more cost effective. And finally, I think the final objection is, you know, physicians. What's the what's the statistic? Less than twenty five percent of newly minted physicians enter primary care. Um, you know, it's everything is ultra specialized. There's less time to spend on the finer details. Uh, well, I would say to that, enter pharmacy. The pharmacist is perfectly positioned um, to look at this data and to act as a decision support analyst for physicians. Um, and you know, pharmacy schools are pumping out pharmacists now like a well-oiled machine. So, I mean, uh, I'm sure there will be uh, new graduates just chopping at the bits to do this kind of work. And I think, you know, society at large probably doesn't realize how part and parcel pharmacists have become, you know, to the uh, interdisciplinary, um, you know, healthcare team. Uh, pharmacists do one and two year residencies to specialize. You know, I did a critical care rotation and uh, it's really awesome to see, you know, our um, eight, uh, they call it the eight ICU, the eighth floor ICU at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Um, when you go on rounds, they refer to pharmacy as if it were another specialty. You know, you have cardiology, hepatology, neurology, and oh, did we consult pharmacy? You know, we're so part and parcel to uh, not just ideal medication selection, but also dosing, as you mentioned. You know, we do the dosing of uh, key antibiotics, vancomycin. Um, Dosing extended interval aminoglycoside dosing with uh, tobramycin. So we're we're uh, you know sometimes they leave that entirely up to us to decide not only the dose but how frequently. And so I think that you know pharmacists are right there ensconced in a position to help you hurdle Todd that final barrier of time. Who has the time to look at this information? Well, I think that the pharmacists will raise their hand hands and say that we do. Exactly, and why take um, pharmacogenomics out of the hands who um, out of the hands of the people and the specialists who know medication effectiveness on the human body better than any anyone, which is the medication specialist. Hello, the pharmacist. So um, it just makes absolute sense that pharmacy leads um, the pharmacogenomics um, study efforts um, research and collection of data so that we can empower uh, these physicians uh, as a member of the team, which, like you said, it, it, the pharmacist has to be consultant consulted if, in fact, there's a drug involved. Exactly. So um, I really appreciate you coming back to the show. Let's not wait three years to have you back. Um, <laughs> we'll be By then, we'll be like episode 400 or something. So let's... Let's try to get you back before uh, before that. I, I'm fascinated by the young, uh, up-and-coming uh, generation of pharmacists that I believe I'll be working for you someday in some marketing supportive role to help you grow your business. Um, <laughs> but I really appreciate your time today, um, Blake. Hey, you know, I, I'm glad to do it. You know, it's exciting. The era of, of pharmacogenomics and digital health, it's definitely fun to talk about and even more fun to think about the fact that it that it's here and real and and happening so thank you Todd for having me you're very welcome you're listening to the pharmacy podcast I had guest Dr. Blake Coney new uh, MBA congratulations to him 
and we thank you for listening.